this week on Ace on the House. But again, I, I will give you $100 for every time my dad ventures eight feet down the hall and pokes his head into that. But I cannot be in the room. He has to do it on his own accord. The rules are clear. I'm excited. All right. So far, over. Matt, if I were you, I'd just record Adam's voice. <laughs> Put it in the corner. Put it back there. Help! <laughs> Dad! Yeah, but I couldn't do anything too threatening. Like, it was like, wolves! Wolves! <laughs> he'd he hightail it for the car. I'd have to say something, you know. Candy trail! Can't! I'm trapped under a donut! Hold on. No, no. I'm trapped under a brand muffin! Help! Check out an all-new episode of Ace on the House this Saturday or visit aceonthehouse.com only on the Ace Broadcasting Network. You're listening to the Ace Broadcasting Network. Okay, welcome podcasters. We're starting off with the musical end of it first. We're doing a series in jazz. Um... My first one will be Somebody Loves You. It's an old tune back probably in the 20s, probably from some Broadway show, though I don't know which one. Um, so it'll be more of an up-tempo. Uh, up-tempo. Uh, the music's by George Gershwin. Um, and then the later one is Time on My Hands. And this is a, um, a ballad. I, I don't play many ballads, but um, the search... For in the trumpet, in the musical, the, in the brass world, is really to, to produce kind of a sound that's really there, a tender sound, taking these pipes that the trumpets are made of and introduce through uh, work with it uh, into a tender sound. I'm going to attempt to do that in this ballot, Time on My Hands. But first, Somebody Loves Me. Welcome to Life Lessons with Jim Carolla and Ray Oldhofer.
Okay, welcome podcasters. We're in the part two of the show. We did the, did the music part earlier. Um, so let's pick, pick up kind of where we left off. We're using the climb of the base camp analogy at the foot of the mountain of the climb. The climb is for higher consciousness. The climb is for something that's beyond our just ordinary mind and functional life. Another level. So, we reached, when we reached our second ridge, we lost a couple people, by the way. Um, people who turned back because it was too strenuous and they thought it was going to be something different. All right. There go a few more. <laughs> That's right. We heard a few more just leave. Um, for those that are staying on for the hall, we're going to we're going to be able to um, try to see as we go from ridge to ridge. At this ridge, we kind of can picture kind of a camping at night. Now we've been through the day of work. Um, I'm saying that there's a we're coming to the next part, which is a kind of a forest. Um, this forest has in it what I call beasts. We call it anything else. Um, creatures that are guarding the heart. The beasts that are now allowing the heart to be penetrated. The heart that's been hurt has become hardened and there's parts of ourselves that stay on the peripheral, peripheral of our heart that won't allow their penetration to a softer heart because of the, of the intimacy and the great defense put around the heart. So on a journey to search, the obstacles, the blocks, the monsters of higher development in order for my being to develop, I must understand my state. So that's what we got to see about these monsters. We got to see what state, the state of the body, the state of the mind and the emotions. I'm always confronted by the forces of my automatism, my mechanicality, my emotional reactivity. So our fundamental state of being is mostly made up of immature strategies of childhood, developmental insults, things that went wrong in development, leading to early wounds and traumas or developmental deficits that are wedged. That's part of what these monster people are made up of, those deficits. So the, def the, the deficits lead us to bodily defense tactics like contractions, bodily armoring in the tissues and the muscles of the body, fear and anxiety, shallow breathing, distorted thought processes. And remember when we were on the neurology part, we talked about ANT as part of that. ANT will also be part of that monster group. Um, automatic negative thoughts. Right, automatic negative thoughts. They'll be there. Um, and attempts to develop self management techniques that can ward off uh, these uh, early childhood threats. 
to continue our defensive behavior of childhood. In other words, once childhood begins to get these strategies and behaviors built into it, it kind of um, uh, continues to act out when it crosses the line into adulthood. It sneaks all the childhood behaviors and the strategies, and it sneaks them past that checkpoint and brings them all into adult development. Nuh uh. <laughs> right. So I'm saying that's part of what we're going to face now as we go into this forest. Beast and the forest. That's a, a, quite a lot to face, what you just said right there. Right. Yes, that's a lot. So we don't want to be overwhelmed by it, but we do want to be prepared about where these, where these little creatures are coming from. So the beast in the forest of our hearts, that's what we're going to begin to look at now. The beasts are the, are the active manifestations of the shadow in our lives. In other words, things that went underground came split off and they became, they became part of the beasts of the forest. They take the form of compulsions, fears, anxieties, depressions, could show up in dreams, also in all that we are, are attached to, anything where we're attached to things. All we must fear, all we must repress, everything we are running from, the beasts have. So we're going to keep finding ourselves in the beast because we're running from the Of everything we split off and running from, the beasts uh, took the form of a beast, just using that analogy. It's something that came from, um, uh, from Dante's uh, Paradise Lost. Um, uh, he didn't use those exact words, but uh, inferred. Uh, in in, the, in myth the mythology and religions, this kind of speech is there. In, in, in Buddhism, it's called the Mara, M-A-R-A. It's like the devil around the heart. So they all have a way of saying, as you climb and you move away from ordinary mind, you're going to run into real resistance. Is it mostly spoken about, <clears throat> excuse me, in metaphor when you mention these things? Yeah, uh, metaphor helps to see the story. Um, now they're, they're the direct uh, things said, but then given um, metaphors to help us understand it a little, a little better. Um, let me see, let me, let me give you the one about um, dreaming. Here's an interesting one. Let's see, I, I made some notes this morning about that. Uh, uh, before I go into the dreaming, um, that's a, that, there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff in that area that I'd like to talk about, but let me first continue with uh, the beast analogy. So as we stand behind our rocks, we can picture as we're cold, we're looking into this forest, and we know because we can begin to hear them make sounds. They growl, they produce symptoms. In other words, they're saying, I'm here, I'm here, and if you want to get through, you're going to have to get by me. To find the beast, we must enter the forest. We must actually go into it. There's people that try to find a way out of it, that try to go around it, they try to make up all kinds of fantasies about it. Uh, walking into the darkest parts of our own shadow. No way to get around it. We have to go straight towards the beast. When we first start, we do not know who they are. What form they'll, they will take 
Or what will we encounter? We don't know what they'll encounter, what form they're going to be in. Will there be just scary ones or um, uh, painful ones, symptomatic things in the bodies, whether they'll be the sexual things. Um, uh, we're not sure of what we're encountered by them. So it's going to, could, could be a little of a surprise. So we have to be prepared in that way. It takes putting aside the tyranny of the inner child and go face to face with the beast. More on that as we go along. Let's turn around and confront, let's see, let us turn around and confront what we have been running from our whole life. And that's why they're so powerful. They're split off parts that have found their own life um, and the defense of any real intimacy. That's why in relationship, particularly serious relationship, the beasts of both partners come out. And sometimes those beasts will end the relationship. Um, what do you mean sometimes? A uh, lot. A lot of times. And some people will work with them. The beasts you know where you can, I'm sorry, Jim, yeah. you know where you can read about the beasts too? By the way, I read a meditation book I'll talk to you about later. But um, Amazon's got some beasts in it, literally and figuratively. Hey, you guys, this is Ray with Life Lessons with Jim Carolla. And this is a plea because business is business, and our business isn't doing so well. So please help us out. You got that? And I'm not kidding. Help us out. So go to Life Lessons website and click through the Amazon banner and help us. Come on. Now, that's a plea, and it's a good one. Do so. Thanks. So, the unmet things in our life, the things we put aside, the things that went underground, will take different forms. Um, you know, I got that with, um, I always used to be on my horse, like, when it would come to taking care of myself as far as, like, billing or, or getting paid. Mm. You know, so I, and that beast was... Or that beast is rather powerful. I mean, I would do anything not to do certain things. You know, go play basketball, drink a six-pack. I mean, God knows what they are. But the funny thing is, is when you dance with the beast or you, or you finally get to identify it and see it, it wasn't as bad as I thought. Hmm. You know, and I, by the way, that's an old one for me. I mean, I've, I've done this. You know, I could pace up and down my hallway you know, yeah. and run my bath and do the dishes and do everything I wanted, you know, just to avoid certain things and then, like, just making a contract or something of that nature, something so base, and then yet there's such a chasm with actually doing it. And to do it, it's kind of strange how it can free you up. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point, Ray. The actual ground member, they're going to, the ferocity of the beast will always be growling us if it kind of scare us. But also, when we're able to face it, and think kind of what Ray's saying, it's not that growl and that ferocity somehow wasn't as much as it, it that was a way to scare us, to stay on the same line. But as Ray said, it was different when he really began to see it and face it. It wasn't as badass as you think it is. Right. right. Let me... One kind of the piggyback on Ray's, one for, my, for me 
was um, a learned helplessness. Remember, some of you know the story. Um, I, I was born in a hospital. In my in my day, they were having midwives, but I don't know the background of it. But I was born in a, in a regular hospital in Philadelphia, Methodist Hospital. Um, and my mother had an idea that you know, I was gassed. The most of you know the story. And, um, and treated me that way. So a real learned helplessness. And then I got on to it, too. I began to see that. From that, I don't have to do, I don't have to learn anything. But that, so the birth of this thing, I'm just giving you the name of learned helplessness, then had important babies. That's another thing about when monsters and ghosts are born, they originally, they, then they produce babies that are related to them. So, um, first place, the um, basic mistrust of the being was the main thing. Uh, I just didn't, I didn't trust myself. I didn't have to do it. I didn't learn how to do it. Then I learned how to um, avoid everyone. Uh, avoid one, lie about it, con my way, um, pretend. And another big birth of that baby was um, fantasy. That's when you can't do something. Um, your mental and fantasy life begin to take it over um, and build another little world beside it. So on one hand, you got the world of the of um, the reality of of um, mistrust and helplessness, and the, and their group of children. And, and yet, we, you're conducting an orchestra in your fantasy life, or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I live, didn't I tell you, I live, I have a yacht and a mansion, Uh you don't know? (laughs) Uh I I thought I told you that. Uh I'm there right now. Uh (laughs) It's amazing, that's amazing, that that transition right there, I mean, because you're so deluded and and you find stuff to fill your emptiness, and yet it's of the same nature. Yeah. And, but it works as a diversion. It works to have some kind of life uh, since I can't stand the other one and, and, uh, and have not uh, crossed any of the real crossroads of um, identities of facing the world and facing the bullies and schoolwork and, and, and all that kind of stuff um, and developed all these subsidiary tributaries of that river. And so this fantasy, like for example, mine early life was to do with baseball. I come from a world that uh, uh, the poor people, anyway, baseball meant a lot to the men. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. And name that lineup. Uh, I mean, this is how strong it is that you can name like a 1940-something lineup. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, mine was the A's, which was the American League version. The Phillies were National League, and the great fights and the great uh, difficulties came with the men on one side, with the Phillies, and men on the other side was the A's. Um, and mine was A's because that was my family's. <laughs> I couldn't be a, I, I couldn't walk in that house and be a Philly fan of my clan. I mean, they would really. So you adopt whatever it was, and I had my imaginary. For my own games, I had my own teams of 
imaginary pitchers and catchers, and I played in field and night games and third day games and all that stuff. So I made this whole life. Um, and then to do, of course, then with show business and, and the music and... So it carried on into that stuff. He carried in there. there Did you ever own a mitt, though? Um, Just say yeah, please. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I means think, no? Well, it means that the, the men had mitts. Of course, they played Sandlot baseball. And I could, you know, I, I was Did you here. just watch? Did you ever participate in, like, a pickup game, a stickball? Or, or were you just that peripheral, unlearned? Did you ever, you know... Participate? Um, not no, not in the neighborhood when I was young. Uh, they played half ball. Uh, it was a big uh, ball or rubber ball cut in half. It's called half ball. Um, that was a, a big one. That uh, are you guys Polish or Italian? Italian. Half know? ball. What the fuck are you talking about? They cut a ball in half. Yeah. Oh, so you couldn't hit it that far, and you played in the street kind of thing? Right, and you stayed Did you play with a broomstick? Yeah, broomstick. All right, okay. And you played against a wall, a church. Like, for example, we played on this one street, Carlisle Street. Uh, we, there was a prison there. A prison? Yeah, uh, but the, one of the oldest prisons, one of the first prisons in, the, in Eastern America. Uh, maybe I'll be able to think of it. Um, Leavenworth. Uh, not Leavenworth. Um, maybe I'll think of it. But anyway, um, that wall, the prison wall. Okay, wait a minute. I'm not so sure now. Oh no, the prison. There was a wall. Anyway, maybe it was even a church wall, or some kind of wall from a building. Anyway, the prison was right there. Um, it was just a few blocks away. In fact, I had an uncle that um, served time, and we could almost look up. And try to see Uncle Ralph. My 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 background has some mafia in it, and one of the members of it was a very high level. He was a wasn't a violent man. Was kind of was a nice person, um, but he was the Don of Atlantic City, which is a very. Uh, by the way, for him to be the Don of Atlantic City, I'll make a short story of it. Um, he had to serve prison time. Um, because they needed, the, the cops were paid off and the politics were paid off. And once in a while, they had to show that they've caught somebody. So he had to take the rap. So he had to take the rap. And he volunteered to do it. And they told him, we'll support your family. You have three or four kids. And you know, serve two and a half years or something, short term. And we give them, we give the police what they want. And the politicians all say, we got another mafia person. And so Ralph, if you want, his name was Ralph. If you want to do it, um, when you finish that, you pay those kind of dues, like you went to the college of the mafia, um, you have Atlantic City. So he did. They took care of their parents. He had a nice setup in jail, and different than the other people and so on. Um, and he was there. And then he went, into, he went into Atlantic City where he was a top man, mostly in horses, I'm not sure there was prostitution and gambling. Um, and he lived his whole life, and he died in bed, and he got all through those wars. Nobody bumped him off, and change of families, and whatever that was all about, he survived. His kids went to Ivy League school, uh, became scientists and lawyers. Really? Yep. 
So he was the tran. That's the transition now. Now they're all legit. Yeah, now they're like legit. the Kennedys. And the, incidentally, the kids didn't know it. Really? Mm-hmm. Come on. Except that he had a beautiful home right on the thing, and he he volunteered to charity and so on. And uh, the kids never gleamed that this guy's all of his, his interests were based, dark yeah, based. All his money was based on that. Now, in the meantime, wow. they also develop legitimate fronts. Because there has to be a reason why all this money's coming in. So my uncle Ralph had a couple of hotels in Chester, just kind of run down things. But people lived there. Um, and that's where he ran the drugs and prostitution and God knows what else. Yeah, I don't know what he That part, I don't know. I know the Atlantic City part. But I don't know what he was doing. How come you never, like, worked for him? Um, well, no, I was... I, I was uh, <laughs> Too helpless. I don't think they saw me as anything that could be. You would have been like Fredo of your family. (laughs) The godfather Fredo. Jim. Been kissed at the end, shot in the boat. Thank God you didn't join. No, no. They did try to, they helped um, a couple, one, so he was, he was in the big time. He made big money. You know, he was well respected in the world. He was thought of as a, Hotel owner, and for people that knew who he was, he was, of course, like a, the godfather, so he was respected by them. But it was more of a fear-based, right? Yeah, I mean, that would be fear-based from the people that, of course, he had connections. Um, you know, Mike, I had a cousin that was a gambler, and many years later, Ralph died, and so all that was over with. His, but he, his name, his last name, which I won't give, but... Um, he carried cachet. He carried, he carried power, and when my cousin was a gambler, was in a little trouble in Vegas. He remembered uh, that he could use that name, that that name even in modern day had some power to it. So wow. some trouble with these other guys. He said, "Well, you know, I'm a relative of Ralph," and they said, "For that reason, not for you." In honor of Ralph and what he You get a pass. You get a pass, yeah. Wow. You're going to have to tell me that name later so I can use it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, we don't. Okay. All right. Now, um, where were we? We were talking about the beasts have growls and then the beasts have babies. Yeah. And then the babies, one of them turned out to be Ralph. (laughs) Yeah. Um... But actually, before we uh, before we go forward with that, we uh, we have a, a slightly new thing here to uh, life lessons, Jim Carolla. We are going to start accepting donations. So if you like this show, you can donate to us online using PayPal. And uh, what you do is you just go ahead and go to our site, acejimcarolla.com, and uh, that'll have links to our Facebook and our Twitter. And there'll be a new button there by the time you hear this episode that'll say donate, and uh, you can click on that and. You know, send us whatever you can, and we'll uh, we'll try to keep the uh, keep the show afloat here. You know, keep the pirate ship going. Yeah, I think this is a, a plea, people. And um, if you like what Jim's bringing, and maybe you haven't hit up the shrink yet, you know, a little bit goes a long way, and we'd be grateful and really appreciative. Besides that, I want to keep doing this, and yeah, we all do. And you know, this this isn't free. It, it is. Uh, it's costing a little bit of money. And uh, if we could have a little bit coming in to uh, to offset that, 
That would go a long way towards making sure we get to keep doing these shows for you guys. We or, really... you know what, Jim and I can just volunteer our services as far as labor and building the shop. What do you say, Jim? <laughs> I'll t- don't worry, I'll cover for you. You don't have to. You don't, have, don't, don't worry about it. So, acejimcarolla.com, click on donate and uh, send us what you can. Thank you very much. Anything would be good, too. Come on, people. We dig you, dig us out of the hole. Okay, so we're, let me, let me switch to something. I'm moving from that, but I want to tell you about one aspect of what we're talking about. People wonder, really, what, when I say many eyes and there's different parts of ourselves, how, how that works. Okay, let me give you one, one way. Now, the thing, I'm, I'm going to call this the dream screen. When we go to bed at night, close off to more of the functional life, a screen kind of pops up and a movie is going to be played. Only we're not, uh, we're not uh, privy to this movie yet. We're in, we're in another state. Um, and when we view this, like let's say the next sort of, so it takes place, we go through all kinds of things. And um, I, I remember, remember one of my movies when I worked in the prison is that I was really stuck in the prison in a way that my life was in danger and so on. Um, and that dream was so real. I had a, certainly a background presence because I worked in the prisons. But I remember begging to wake up, wake up away from that reality, from that movie. It was so painful. And of course, when I woke up, it was different. So there's all kinds of um, movies being made in our head while we sleep. Um, and then when we wake up, there's another eye or an audience and looks at it. Think of that. Here's a movie being made in our sleep and then we reach a different level of uh, consciousness and now we have an eye that can look at it or an audience. Almost like a second self. One self made the movie, and another self was watching it. I remember I had a, I used to have a reoccurring dream when I was a kid that um, I was stranded on top of a palm tree. Mm-hmm. And I would be like sitting in, in the frongs, you know, and then I'd look over because I couldn't see the base of the tree. I couldn't see its trunk, but I knew I was on top of this palm tree. I was like, fuck, man, I'm doomed. How do I get out of here, you know? But then it would start to sway. The palm tree would start to sway back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and it would launch me. And then I'd be scared, you know, of the, sure. of the you know, what's to be expected, you know. But then I, I could fly. Mm-hmm. And so then I'd just start flying. And I would fly and fly and fly around like where I lived, you know. I'd fly around. Mm-hmm. And then um, I'd land, and then I would wake up, and I'd be pissed that I couldn't fly. <laughs> I was going, I was just flying a couple of minutes ago, and now I can't fly. And that was my, I had that dream a bunch. Yeah. Incidentally, podcasters, think for yourself, because we're going to go a little into the movie making of dreams, and uh, who dreams the dreams. So we're going to go into that a little bit. Um, uh, but what if, you, Ray mentioned one that's kind of a thematic one that was uh, going through his um, childhood life. 
Um, do you have one? I remember, uh, very f fearful, and that's another monster at my gate that we'll talk about, but um, I remember when I was a kid that our, our constant dream was that I would hear noise in the closet, and when I opened the closet were Indians. Now, I, I, my only, one of our only entertainment was going to these cowboy movies that I paid uh, 10 cents to get into. And um, as you see all these cowboy movies, was, so that reflected into the dream. So sometimes dream has material related to our life. Um, and they would, once I'd opened the door, they all, they all had their arrows aimed and they would shoot their arrows at me. And I would, <laughs> I'd feel the pain all over my body and so on. Do you have a... Were you ever a hero in any of your dreams? Yeah, yeah. I, I also was a hero. Um, but for you podcasters, yeah, that's not, you'll see the movies. There's the different movies being made. We're victims in some movies and we're, we're heroes in other movies. But these are all part of us. And, and we have also an audience to show to it the next day. Just the way when they make a movie and they, and they bring their... What do they call that? The, the reels, the, not the reels. Dailies? Yeah, the dailies. So whatever dream we're dreaming at night, first place runs under a different law. It has certain things. Ray said he was able to fly and so on. And I would be able to play a fantastic trumpet with the Philadelphia Orchestra. Um, so it could come in any, any form like that. But there's also others. There's, there's also very fearful ones. Yeah, I had some real dark ones. We had one of those um, vacuums with the retractable cords. Remember mm -hmm. those? Yeah. And I always thought, because even when I was a kid, I, I didn't really find my father to be, um, you know, like safety. And I didn't see him as, a, as like a, a real man figure, you know, like he could take care of you mm. or take care of business. or. Yeah, so I was, I was um, I, when I was little, I was kind of scared, you know, of, of everything, mm. you know. But then I built this persona where I can do it or whatever. But I used to have this dream, or I've had this dream, and I remember it. <clears throat> we had this retractable, and my mom was a badass. But, you know, she couldn't beat me up, and I was, you know, nine. So who else is she going to beat up or, you know, take care of if something goes down? You know, you're in trouble. So um, I had this, um, I walk into the house, and we had this retractable cord on the uh, vacuum cleaner, and everybody was strangled oh. except for me. And it was in chronological order, too. Like, there's dad, mom, brothers, fish, cat, no. Just, but everybody was lined out, strangled with the retractable cord. And I was, like, just so scared, wow. so petrified when I woke up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, seized, you know? Yeah. Like, un unable to move, sweat, like, just joints locked, yep. contracted. So you can see there's a bodily part, mine, I, but there's arrows going in me, Ray feeling, uh, feeling that in his body. Um, so podcasters, um, think of your, the background of your, your um, dreaming history. We're going to look at it a little more deeper on the show, what I'm calling movies made at night. Um, with their own director, their own producer, their own agent to sell it, and that creates actors in search of an author. 
Actors are searching for a movie to get into on Earth to move that form. Our instinctive life produces actors. And instincts themselves can't do anything, but they can produce actors. Their sense impulse produces actors. And um, these actors are searching for life on the stage. They're searching for form. Um, they, wanna, they, they, want, they want their say. They need their just do. Yeah. They need their attention. Right. So that's an interesting part. That, that part I have a lot in that area, but let me just start with that. Uh, then I'll add to it more next week about the dream, the dream movie. Who's dreaming the dream movie? Somebody's dreaming it. And that could be an alternate part of yourself, a split-off part of yourself, um, different dreams, talking about different parts. And it relates to the beast I'm talking about, the beast that guard the heart. So we'll get back to that next week about the beasts who guard the heart, the great movies is, that are going on all the time at another level in our head. Um, and we're going to try to connect them a little bit. Um, why we have so many eyes, so many different parts of ourselves. We're a lot of actors, actors searching for an author. Uh, that's, a, that's a name of a Perundillo play, I think, or book. So this concept is known in the world, particularly analytically. All right, so we thank you for listening. Stay in touch with us. Um, let and us be a pal, pay. Be a pal, pay. Uh, <laughs> um, stay in touch, let us know if you have a question or if you want to talk about a, a dream that you could make it anonymous, if you'd like, a dream that you've been... And also... In my training in the, in the psychoanalytical world, I work with dreams, so I have a little little background of uh, dream uh, uh, interpretation. Good, a, a good guess, anyway. Okay, so let's let's hear from you, and we'll continue this next week. Bye. Reach the show on Twitter at LLWJC or email us at Jim Carolla at AdamCarolla.com.
to the Ace Broadcasting Network.